policemen, firefighters, military personnel. We now go to ball games since 9-11, and um, not only do they play the national anthem, many times they play a song that we're all familiar with, God Bless America. You go to the memorials erected at uh, Ground Zero, and you are inspired. On Memorial Day concerts and Fourth of July celebrations, we always give love to our first responders. We have them stand, we applaud, we thank them, we bless them, and so we should. But do you know who the second responders are? Those who bring healing and hope and food and clothing and medical supplies. It is the church of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that church is expressed in organizations like Red Cross, World Vision, World Relief. But the church of Jesus Christ is always there. We've sent teams of people from our church as second responders. Most churches have done that as well. It's in these times and these moments that the world takes notice of the church. Whether it's in New York City, Haiti, New Orleans, the Philippines, Cambodia. The church is there to be the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus. We're beginning a brand new series of messages we just started last week on this subject. Is the church still relevant today? Well, I want to give you a kind of an early take home uh, to this message, and it's this. The church is still relevant today when the church is generous in meeting the needs of people in our world that are broken and hurting and hungry and lonely. The church of Jesus Christ is relevant when it is generous. The world takes note when we meet the needs of people who are in trouble. There's a wonderful example of this in Scripture. Um, Let me give you a little bit of the background. So, during the first century, and this book, uh, 1 Corinthians, is written around 60 to 70 A.D., It's when Nero was in control and there was tremendous persecution uh, on the church. And the persecution looked like a lot of things. Uh, There was a lot of imprisonment, even death in the uh, uh, in the arenas of uh, death, they used to call them. Uh, But one of the things that happened subtly kind of under the under the radar was uh, economic boycott. The uh, Christians were not given jobs and they were not allowed to work. And and you'll notice in Acts chapter two, how that the Christians would gather together in one place and one to share what they had, their food and their need. Well, that was out of necessity because they had nothing and they had no ability to work. So this was going on. And so all of the early churches from the first century were very, very much poor, very poverty stricken. And the one that was hit the hardest was the church in Jerusalem. There was no more persecuted group than the church in Jerusalem in A.D. 60. But other churches took notice of what was happening as well. The church at Macedonia, for instance, was very poor. And yet they noticed that the church at Jerusalem, some miles away, was um, really struggling. And so they asked Paul 
if they had if they could have the privilege of giving out of their poverty to the poverty of the Christians in Jerusalem. Here's what we, we read this story in Second Corinthians eight. Now, Paul is telling this to the church at Corinth, but he's telling this to all the churches that this is the heart of generosity and the heart of giving. Listen to what God says in Second Corinthians eight, one to five. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. Now, get the picture. The church of Jerusalem is really struggling. They have nothing. The church of Macedonia hears about that and they want to respond. But they have much trouble and persecution themselves. So out of out of their vast poverty, notice that. But they are also filled with abundant joy, filled with joy in the midst of poverty. Yes. Which has overflowed into rich generosity. And then verse three. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to. When it comes to generosity, you'll always notice that the first thing that is given is yourself. Nothing to do with money. The first thing that is given is yourself. And that's what uh, Paul affirms there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, these people, poor, persecuted, yet they heard that the church of Jerusalem needed help. And it says, out of their poverty welled up rich generosity. They took an offering. And it said literally that they had the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. I, in my 30 years of ministry, I can't remember very many times when someone's come up to me and said, Dwayne, I beg you for the privilege of giving to the church. Please, please, can I give to the church? And if they did say that, I'd say, well, okay. Uh, yeah. These people begged for the privilege out of their poverty. It's not like they had money in the savings account. They had no IRAs. Out of their poverty, they begged for the privilege of giving to the church at Jerusalem. This is the spirit of generosity that God calls us to as his people. We have seen this in our own church. Even in past years when we have struggled to make our mortgage payment. Hope Covenant Church has planted two churches. We've literally given away families and their giving for the purpose of expanding the kingdom. We have given money to Haiti, to the Philippines, through Covenant World Relief. We have given money to Streetlight, to the Chandler Christian Center, to Jacob's Journey House, doing home makeovers, doing Be the Church Days. The church is truly the church when we are generous. And the Bible says when it says that uh, they, they, gave, uh, they gave generously, it means literally that their generosity erupted out of them. Now, these are not middle class Christians that have a home and a car and a decent job and even some money in the savings. These are people that had nothing and their generosity erupted out of them. When the church of Jesus Christ has shows that kind of generosity, including Hope Covenant Church, 
That is when the world takes notice. That is when the world says, you know what? They put their money where their mouth is. What they say they believe, reaching people for Christ, they do it. And it's costly. All of this comes from inside of us. It erupts in generosity and thanksgiving to God. Now, last week we talked about the three major complaints why people don't go to church. Church is boring. Church is irrelevant. We talked about that last week. And the church asks too much for money. Last week we talked about the fact that people said church was irrelevant. But what we talked about was the church is always relevant when it's reaching one more person for Jesus Christ. That was last week's sermon. This week we know the church is always relevant when it is generous towards those who are broken and lonely and in need and in poverty. That's when the church is relevant. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, when it comes to money... As a pastor, I'm always kind of guarded about my preaching. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I am. I, after, again, 30 years of experience, I realize that um, people want to give in their own way without any coercion or any kind of pressure from either Scripture or God or the preachers. And I understand that. But what we've done here at Hope is we've been kind of low-key around this subject, and that's been because of me. And uh, low key, because I'll, I'll preach about giving and tithing maybe two or three times a year. And that's it. Uh, but and in our church, and you know this, there's no hard sell. There's never pressure. Uh, you're not going to receive invoices in the mail like some denominations do. We're not going to hound you or guilt you into giving. I'm very cognizant of not being a hard sell. No pressure. But I have a bigger fear. My bigger fear is that. Money has become a deeply entrenched American idol. In fact, some have suggested the chief idol to men and women today. There's one of the uh, teachers I love listening to is Andy Stanley, North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And Andy Stanley was talking about how that when his children were younger, that he would teach them about the importance of money. And he would do it by giving each of his children three jars. One jar, it said uh, spending. One jar, it said saving. And one jar, it said giving away. And he would teach his children, and this is kind of a Dave Ramsey principle, you guys know that, and, uh, that, that if you really want to be conscientious about your money, you have to have your spending jar, your, your saving jar, and your giving away jar. Because if you don't have three jars, and you end up having one jar... And that one jar has only one label on it, and that is spending. That's right. You know, and, and, and so he talks about how he gave his children. Now, he said, now, I don't do that so that my seven-year-old daughter, who has a dollar and 25 cents in her giving away jar, he says, I don't do that so that she'll give that dollar 25 to the church. She does. That's her tithe. That's what she gives to the church. But he says, my purpose is not trying to get, it, get money for the church. He said, my purpose is this. The number one threat to my seven-year-old daughter in the world is not communism. It's materialism. The number one threat to my seven-year-old daughter is that she will make an idol of money and possessions and things. So he said, the best way I know is to follow the biblical teaching of what we do with our money to teach my children that God wants first place in our lives. I thought that was really solid 
teaching. We, I remember when we were kids, um, uh, when our children were younger, we would always teach them about, you know, you want to save some, you want to, there's some to spend, but you always want to give God your first fruit, the first 10%. I believe that materialism and money has become the chief rival of God today. It's derailing and dominating our lives because money is being mismanaged and it is hamstringing marriages. It is throttling people's ability to be generous. And it is shortchanging the church of Jesus Christ that wants to do so much ministry in the world. Did you know that the percentage of giving to local churches has steadily declined from 1974 until now, when personal wealth has skyrocketed three times? Personal wealth in the last 35 years has grown by three times. Yet we have this huge elephant in the living room, right? Elephant-sized debts, elephant-sized bills, financial messes, reduced giving to God's work, and many, many pastors are ignoring it. Well, in spite of the dangers, the inherent dangers that I recognize, let me say I cannot ignore it because God's word does not ignore it. We will face the elephant We will slay it by the power of the authority of the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Join me in prayer. Father, there is nothing more clear in your word than your generosity to us. And similarly, when we have the mind and the heart of Jesus, there is nothing more clear in your word than your children having the spirit of generosity that literally erupts from us to meet the needs in the world. Father, may we be that kind of generous church. May the world look at us and say, they don't have the biggest or the best church, but they're always reaching their community with the love and salvation of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, make this word come alive among us today. For I pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Jesus talked a lot about money matters. That's because money matters a lot. And for some, it matters too much. I think for many people in our world, and this is not news to you, you know this, the pursuit of money and the pursuit of things that money can buy becomes the driving force of our lives. It becomes the drumbeat of our lives. Do we have enough money? Do we have enough savings? Do we have enough resources to buy that house, to buy that car, to buy that, that summer home? And it's that kind of constant drumbeat that we're feeling and experiencing in our lives. I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about a lot of you. And you're like me. I want God, not money to be the CEO of my life. Now, here's a good way to describe what I'm talking about. Have you ever, and you hear this a lot in sports, so forgive me my sports analogies. By the way, isn't it awesome that the Cardinals are not going to lose today? Uh, anyway, so, so a lot of times you'll hear in sports a terminology uh, about that guy's in the zone, right? Have you ever heard that phrase, you know? That guy's in the zone. Okay, one of you has. Good. Yeah, that, I'm really connecting with my audience. Uh, so anyway, being in the zone is when you're doing your thing so well, so excellently, and so precisely that everything works. 
So it's, whether it's your job or the way you manage your home or uh, on the football field, that you're in a zone when everything you do is coming to the top and it's perfect and you're hitting, you're hitting all the right notes and you're doing all the right things and, and you're getting all the, the accolades and everything's just working beautifully in the zone. See, now you've all experienced that at some level in your lives, maybe at your work or in your devotional life or uh, in some other area, but you feel like you're in the zone. Everything is clicking. I'm just doing everything just right. I used to feel that way uh, at times when I was uh, playing a lot of racquetball back in the 80s and 90s. And there, I, sometimes I'd be in a tournament and for a few moments I'd be in that zone where every shot was a, was a rollout or a pinch or everything was just perfect. And I just couldn't do anything wrong. And I wished I could sustain that, but... Oh, so sweet for those times to be in the zone. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the zone when I'm preaching. Now, right now isn't one of those times, obviously, from your response. Uh, but, but sometimes you feel like you're in the zone and the Spirit of God just kind of takes over and, and it's not you speaking, but it's the Spirit of God. Life is good in the zone. Now, financially speaking, God wants us to live in His zone. Now, here's what we experience when you deal with money, with wealth and generosity in God's financial zone. Here's what you experience. You experience financial freedom. That's a promise from God's word. You experience security. That's a promise from God's word. You experience peace of mind and joy. Those are promises from God's word. And I know it doesn't make any sense. You say, well, wait a minute. You're telling me that I'm supposed to give away 10% of my income and that's going to make me feel secure. Right? That doesn't make much sense. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because that's exactly what God said. I mean, how does that sound to you? Financial freedom, security, peace of mind, and joy. Romans 15, 13, we read these words. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. That's being in the zone spiritually. You want this truth about giving to come alive in you today, to explode in your life, to erupt in your life? Do you want what God is talking about? Do you want freedom and security and peace and mind and joy? But most people aren't living in that zone. Most people are in a a different zone financially. It's, it's more like a financial twilight zone. A zone characterized by, and some of you are going to relate to this, a zone characterized by fear, insecurity, discontent, stress, bondage, and frustration. Let me ask you honestly, and you can answer this in the quietness of your own heart. Which zone are you in? Financially speaking, which zone are you? Are you in God's zone where you have that peace of mind and that joy, that security? Or are you in this financial twilight zone where there is stress and bondage and frustration? Here's a, a second early take home in this message. Depending on which zone you are in financially, the choice is yours. We can switch zones. We can. We can change zones. It's not easy, but it is possible. And the Bible spells out how to switch zones. Let me read this passage for you. Uh, Bill read it earlier. Uh, one of the verses he read earlier from Romans 12, uh, he read from NIV. I want to read from the New Living Testament. Oh, New Living Translation. 
Here's what Romans 12, 2 says. Do not copy the behavior and customs of the world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. Then you will know what God wants for you to do. And you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. That's being in the zone. That's being in God's zone. Too many people in our world today, I think including many churchgoers like us, uh, copy the behavior and the customs of the world. I think we would all agree with that. When it comes to finances especially, I mean, we live daily in a financial twilight zone. Just read the newspaper. Listen to the news. Did you know that our national debt is, and this is a hard number to get your head around, $15 trillion? And that our personal debt is greater than that? <laughs> our, now, it was, it was only about 20 years ago that we had almost no national debt. But $15 trillion? Now, if we were all to pay that debt, every one of you, including men, men women, and children, would be responsible for $50,000. That's your part. And if you have a family of five, $250,000. That's your part. That's your debt that you owe to pay off the debt of the nation. What is wrong with us? And it's not just that, but that mirrors our personal debt. We have, what the Bible says, copied the behavior and customs of the world. But the scripture says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. To go away from this, this, this tremendously ugly financial twilight zone that we find ourselves in and find out God's way of doing things. And I want to do that by looking really at three areas. And these are the areas that you would make sense to you. When it comes to our, our finances, we have to look at three areas. We have to look at our desires, our debts, and our distributions. Now, our desires are the things that we believe will satisfy us, will Give us what we want and need in our world, in our life, and for our children. It's our desires. Nothing wrong with desires unless the desires are wrong, right? So nothing wrong with our desires. But then we have to look at our debts. And in Romans 13:8, we read these words. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Can I be honest with you from a pastoral standpoint? The hundreds and hundreds of people I've counseled, married couples that I've counseled in my office, debt destroys marriages. Their one cause of divorce is money. Debt destroys marriages. Personal debt, national debt, world debt, church debt, it destroys. So we have to look at our desires, we have to look at our debts, and then we have to look at our distributions. What do we do with our money? Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know what matters to you, if you're thinking, I wonder what really does matter to me, look at your online account or your checkbook and look at where your debts are, your desires, your distributions. You will know what matters to you by looking at your personal finances. Now, that's, that's the problem. Desires, debt, distribution. But today I want to focus on, I, I tried to figure out a way to approach this to where it wouldn't beat us up, and including myself in this. 
But because God never doesn't want to beat you up. God wants to pick you up. He wants to lift you up. So let's go to the solution side of this desired debt and distribution. The solution side, I want to present to you this morning three steps to financial freedom. I know that sounds kind of, you know, you know, like you're watching a television program or something. But but I think these three steps are critical to making your life financially free. So the first thing I want to suggest to you uh, from Scripture, first step to financial freedom is this. Step number one, to honor God with my full tithe. Now, full tithe if you don't know, have not been around the Bible, full time, it means literally 10%. Now, this, to me, is a very personal conviction. But more than that, even if it wasn't a personal conviction, wouldn't matter. It's a biblical conviction. It's what the Bible teaches. It's what Jesus taught. It's what was taught in the Old Testament. It is a conviction that in order for God's work to move forward, whether it's the church or missions or wherever else, we need some income in order to do that. Okay, that's what that is about. That's what the tithe is about. In the Old Testament, it was uh, called a temple tax. And it was to help build the temples, pay for the Levites, the ones who were doing the work, and uh, help for all of the things that were going on in the temple. In addition to the 10% of the tithe, in the Old Testament, they also were supposed to give 10% additional, 20% altogether. And that 10% was going to distribute to the poor. Now, those of you who are Republicans will recognize that as a tax. Uh, but, but everybody else, we have to realize that God wants us to be responsible for those who can't be responsible for themselves. Now, you can do with that what you want. But we are called as New Testament Christians to give 10 percent of the Lord's money to his work. When I was a boy, my dad uh, started giving us an allowance. And uh, don't mistake him for a softie. Uh, we worked like slaves uh, for that allowance. And um, so he would give us our allowance. My allowance, my first allowance, I remember when I was a boy, was 10 cents a week. You know, big bucks. And um, my dad would always give it in 10 pennies. He'd say, son, always save at least one of these pennies for, the, for later. This first penny right on top belongs to God. You always put that in the Sunday school offering when you go to Sunday school. The other eight pennies, you can do with what you want. But I'd recommend that you always try and keep a couple more of those in the savings because it'll accumulate over time and then you'll be able to buy whatever you want to buy. So my dad was very good about helping us realize from the time we were children that the first fruits, the first penny belongs to God. It doesn't belong to me. In fact, God could say, I want you to give me 90 percent back. And we couldn't squawk. We would, but we couldn't uh, really because God gave us everything and he says, I want you to give 10% back because I need to make my church and missions and all the things that we talked about last week, reaching one more person for Jesus Christ. We need some resources to do that. The resources I've called upon is called the Church of Jesus Christ. You are the Church of Jesus Christ. And when we send Jim Sellen to Cambodia to build houses, we do that with some of our money. He's not only one of us, he's, we send him with some of our money to do that. So that's what this is all about. God doesn't want our crumbs. God doesn't want you to spend the first nine cents and then that penny at the bottom. Guess what? There's always going to be something for that penny at the bottom. So be very careful. You always give God the first fruits. I must honor God with my full tithe. Now, before that little voice in your head says, "Uh, I can't do it. You know, I'm already behind and I already have more debt than I have month. And I, uh, what do I do? Let me share with you from Malachi chapter three, verses eight to ten. Here's what the Lord said in the Old Testament. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. You ask, well, what do you mean? 
When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough money, uh, enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord Almighty, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. Wow. The heavens opened up to us. Wow, that doesn't sound like it's a bad thing. That sounds like it's an amazing thing. God says, you put me first in your life and I'll take care of the rest of it. That 90% of your income that you don't think you can get by on, I will stretch that and make that into something really big. This is the only time in the Bible when the Bible says that we are able to test God. That we are able to literally test God. He says, test me in this. You put me first, you put my tithe first, and you watch what happens to the other 90%. Now again, I've been where some of you are and saying, I can't do it. I don't even have enough now. I don't, my money doesn't go where it should. Trust me. Trust, don't trust me. Trust God in this, he says. Do we really think that we're robbing God? Here's what we're talking about. 94% of Christians do not tithe. If 50% of Christians tithe, we would have more money in the world than we need to to fix all the things we need to fix in terms of sending missionaries and doing ministry and helping people with clean food and water and all of those things. If 50% of Christians would tithe, there would be no financial issues in our church or any other church. 50%. But only 6% of Christians give a full tithe. What does that mean? Well, what it means according to this verse is that they're missing out on God's blessings. They're missing out on God's blessings. God owns everything we have. He has the right to ask us for anything that we have. Personally, I'm glad that God doesn't say, you keep 10%, Dwayne, and give me 90%. I'm glad for that. Maybe you're thinking, oh man, there's no way I can afford to give 10% to God's work. My guess is that may sound impossible to many of you. It sounded impossible to me 25 years ago. But there's one way to think of it. If your income was reduced by 10% by your employer tomorrow, would you be on the streets? Would you starve? Well, of course not. You'd find a way. You'd adjust your lifestyle. You'd do something. You'd find a way. That's what I'm suggesting today. It's not going to be easy. But something is going to happen if you do. Something supernatural happens when we take this step. The Bible says literally, it unlocks God's blessing. There's only been one time in my life when I haven't tithed. Anybody want to guess when that was? Yell it out. When I was gambling. I didn't have enough money to gamble and also to give money to God. The way I figured, and this was really stupid, if God really wanted his money, he would give me more jackpots. You know? Right? Sure, that makes Well, it doesn't make sense at all. It's ridiculous. But that's what you think when you're putting something above God. And the blessings that... When Sherry and I moved here uh, 11 years ago, we had nothing. Now, that sounds weird for somebody that's almost 50 years old, you know. Uh, but, but I had taken care of that with the gambling thing. And we started over and we said, now, the church is going to pay us a fair salary. 
we're going to tithe first thing, even though we've got all these debts and we're all, you know, and God has blessed us so much, not because we've made a lot of money, but because we've been faithful to God in how we use our money. The first check we write every month is to the Lord's work. It doesn't matter what else is going on in our lives. And God always makes that 90% stretch. Always. We've never had it otherwise. Now, I want to, based on Malachi chapter 3, I want to make a promise to you. Actually, it's a guarantee. And if there are elders here today, uh, you might want to close your eyes and cover your ears. You're not going to like this. Actually, they would like it because I've talked to them about it before. I'm going to give you a Hope Covenant Church guarantee. Here it is. If you start putting God first in your finances, number one, if you start giving him your first fruits, 10% off the top, if you start doing that, some of you say, well, I can't do that. Well, then start with 5% or start with 1%. But you start moving towards that, what God has called us to, a a tithe. You start doing that, I will guarantee you, if you have more, if you don't have more money left at the end of the month, we'll pay your money back. A money back guarantee at church. How do you like that? If you feel like God has not blessed you and God has not helped the rest of that 90% stretch, if you believe that you really have made a mistake, you come to me and we'll pay your tithe back. We'll give it back to you. We'll write you a check. Not with interest. Don't go there. But we'll write you a check. We promise that. That's how much confidence I have in God's plan. That's how much confidence I have because it worked for my dad. It worked for me. It worked for my son. It works for my son. It's what matters when we put God first in our lives. The first step in financial freedom, friends, you've got to hear this, is this. Give the full tithe to God. And here's the second step to financial freedom. And some of you are not going to like this. Step number two. I must eliminate personal debt. This is Dave Ramsey. Now, we've taught, I think, six Dave Ramsey classes in our church. How many of you have been to Dave Ramsey? Raise your hands, okay? Those people that are raising their hands, those people that are well on their way to financial freedom, I guarantee it. Now, why does Dave Ramsey work? Because Dave Ramsey's smart? No, because he read his Bible. And he's teaching it. He's going all over the world and teaching it. He teaches it to non-Christians. He just doesn't use religious words. But he's teaching what God teaches. And that is, debt will kill you. Now, I'm not talking about your mortgage when I talk about debt. Most people carry a debt mortgage. I, you know, Dave Ramsey said eventually you shouldn't have to do that. But I'm talking about other debt. That's what will kill you. That's where people live in the financial twilight zone. This is SOP, right? Standard operating procedure in the world. This is the behavior and customs of the world. Here's the way it works in the world. 43% of Americans spend $1.22 for every dollar of income. How does that work? Well, I'll tell you how it works. It's called credit cards. It's called debt. It's called loans. It's called all of that. 43% of Americans spend $1.22 for every dollar they earn. The average American, and that includes all the people that live uh, with cash, right, that live uh, without debt, uh, the average is $1.08 spent for every dollar earned. The personal American debt, just the American debt of, 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 of individuals using credit cards, if we all could take that money that we're spending on debt and put it in a big pot, it would eliminate world hunger. How sad is that as Americans? How sad is that? 
We could take that money that we're spending in, in 22% interest rates, some of your credit cards, and, and we would spend that money and we could put that all together and we could eliminate world hunger. That's why this matters to God. That's why it matters to God. We have a choice. We have a choice. Let's call this what it is. It's insanity. And what's the fallout of debt? <laughs> you know what it is. The fallout of debt is stress and bondage. The number one stressor in our world is money. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The borrower is servant to the lender. So many of us have lifestyled our way to stress. Debt is annihilating marriages, number one cause of divorce. Debt is destroying the peace of mind. The number two, co- the number two cause of suicide is debt. It's crippling our ability to be generous. I can't tell you, and I, and I, my heart resonates with some of you, especially you young families. You're trying to make it, and you're doing the best you can. And I had one young family tell me recently, we don't have any money to give to the church, but how can we serve, you know, with our hands? And I, and I, I so much applaud that, and I think that's so wonderful. But let's be very clear about this. We have to figure out how we can do what God has commanded us to do, and that's to give to the church and to the work of the ministry. It's crippling our ability to be generous. Yesterday we had a, a Cambodia brunch, and those of us that were here, we were asked, very, we asked them very unashamedly, we'd like you to give money to help Jim go to Cambodia, build these houses for Habitat for Humanity. Very, and you know what's wonderful? I didn't have to call, Sherry was sick yesterday, she's sick today too, but I didn't have to call her and say, honey, should we write a check to the church for Jim's ministry to Cambodia? I didn't have to call her and ask that. Do you know why? We have the ability to be generous. We, we have money. This is maybe a concept you've never heard of. We have money in our checking account that we don't spend. We have the ability, we have the flexibility, the margins to be generous. I love that. I used to hate that. I used to feel so guilty when I was gambling that I couldn't even write a tithe check. If somebody was going to a mission field, as a, you know, I couldn't even write a $25 check for that person. That was, that was so terrible of me and it felt so badly. In my life. It's a crippling our ability to be generous. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 very clearly. Beware, beware, beware. Lest the, you believe that the power of your hands and the strength of your life is what gives you wealth. Beware if you think that your brain and your hard work and your toil is what gives you wealth. It's not true. God has given you everything, even the air to breathe, to make one penny. It all belongs to God. You've all heard me say this before, but I, I'm fascinated by the demographics of giving. I just looked at this again to see if it's updated. Of all the kind of people groups in the United States, um, the, the, the group that gives the least, anybody want to take a stab at that? White-collared males. In other words, the ones who make the most give the least to um, benevolent funds, to churches, etc., you know who gives the most? Single black women. They give the highest percentage of their income. Lowest, the men with the most. Highest, the women with the least. Do you know why? Because that woman says, I can't, I can't make life without God. This man down here, he says, I am God. I am in control. I do things my way. And look what it's got me. We have to be very, very careful of that. Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. 
What do I do to gain financial freedom? Well, first of all, you sign up and go to Dave Ramsey. Uh, do, we, uh, do we have another one scheduled? I think it's in the fall, uh, sometime this fall, we're going to do another Dave Ramsey. Anybody know? Jeff or Steph or anybody? I don't know if we have one scheduled, but uh, we will. We promise you we'll schedule one because we need to do that. Dave Ramsey will help you with financial freedom. But here's a couple of things quick you can do. Number one, uh, you need to do some plastic surgery. Cut your credit cards in half. Oh, but we can't live on it. Well, yes, you can. <laughs> if you lost your job, you could figure out a way. Plastic surgery, we have to change our lifestyle. There's only two ways that we can change our finances. More income or less outgo. Okay, that's just basics. Here's another one. Dave Ramsey, 70, 10, 10, 10. Spend 70, 10% short-term savings. That's emergency fund. 10% long-term saving. 10% belongs to God. 70, 10, 10, 10. Start living on 70% of your income, not 108%. And again, we will have a financial peace university in the fall, Dave Ramsey. But in all of this, what, what I'm suggesting is this. Invite God into your finances. Invite God into your finances. Do you know how I was able to get away with spending all that money on gambling for those years? Because Sherry had nothing to do with the finances. She didn't want anything to do with the finances. She does now. It's not that she doesn't trust me. At least she says she trusts me. Maybe I just dawned on me. Maybe she doesn't. But anyway, but she's involved now. And you know what? And you know what it's done? It's, it's given her the sense of joy that we can be so generous. Invite God into your finances. And here's the third step. The last step. We'll just do this quickly. The third step of financial freedom is our church, Hope Covenant Church, must become debt free. And I just want to show you a real quick video uh, to highlight that one of our staff members. Let's take a look. And this is a clean shaven Scott. I work part time, for those of you who don't know, and uh, that has its limitations, honestly. Being part-time only allows me to do a portion of that, and I'm blessed to do it, happy to be there, but uh, if we had the opportunity to bring somebody on full-time, um, I just dream about the amazing things that we could do. For me personally, if you could see what I see as a worship leader out in front of the crowd out there, at Easter services when I'm standing there and looking out over eight or 900 people, um, it is amazing to see God working through all of his people in the body there. I love what I do. I love music. I love the passion of singing. I love praising my Lord and Savior. I love everything about being able to come to a God who knows my heart and to sing back praises to him. And the opportunity that I am blessed with to see all of you sitting out there and singing and praising and connecting, whether hands are up or down, I know God is reaching into your heart. So the opportunity for Hope Covenant Church to go to that next level and invite more people in our community to feel that power and that connection that we have at Hope with our Lord and Savior is something that's near and dear to my heart. I really want the opportunity for everyone in Chandler to know Jesus Christ. And I would pray that God is going to work to make sure that that happens at Hope Covenant Church. We have a challenge in front of us. We have an opportunity to relieve this debt and add more resources to our church. What that looks like is probably different for a lot of people. 
But the one common thing that it does look like is that our church would be able to open up our doors to more people in the community of Chandler and invite them to the good news of Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to celebrate 25 years of ministry at Hope Covenant Church, but also nine years in this building. Um, we moved in November 24th, excuse me, October 24th, 2002, into this building. And as a result of that, um, since uh, the last seven years, uh, since 2004, um, we have seen 505 people give their hearts to Christ here at Hope Covenant Church. Every time you put a dollar in the offering plate. That dollar is translated into ministry. It pays for staff and lights and building and, and ministries and all of that, of course. But every dollar that you place in the offering plate that goes to this church is translated in reaching one more person for Jesus Christ. We promise you that we will do everything in our power to make our finances work for you and especially for the Lord. In those years that we've been in this building, We've carried a debt of about $1.3 million. We've reduced it considerably, but still about $1.3 million, which is about a little over $13,000 a month. Can you imagine what ministries our church could do in terms of staff, missions, other ministries, upgrading our facilities? Can you imagine what we could do with another $13,000 a month? God wants us to be debt-free. And I've been thinking a lot about this, wondering how to communicate this effectively to our church. And and we have a team that's been working on this. And next year, we want to make 2012 a year that we really do serious damage to that debt. And um, this last week, I was doing some reading in, in the Old Testament and came across Deuteronomy 14 and 15. And there were laws relating to the year of release. You've heard the year of Jubilee. Well, in the Old Testament, every seven years, debtors are released for one year from their debt in order to help the poor, pay the Levites, pay the priests, pay the temple. One year, they would have their debts completely remitted. And then every 50 years, they have what they call a year of Jubilee, where all debts are wiped out from the past 50 years. So I was thinking, October of 2002, October of 2012, a year from now. Wouldn't it be amazing in 10 years to have that debt completely wiped out so that we, as a body of Christ, can do all this ministry that God has called us to? Matthew 6.33 says it this way, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, It all starts with commitment, not to good intentions, but commitment. Commitment turns in dreams into realities. Lou Holtz, um, who's now a broadcaster on TV, former college coach, coach, uh, former college coach, once said this. The kamikaze pilot who flew 50 missions was involved, but never committed. If you don't get that joke, you'll have to ask somebody afterwards. What I'm calling for today is uh, commitment. And I'm not going to ask you to sign anything. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just want you to really allow God to work in your heart today after this message. 
the church is really relevant. We have to be generous. And the way that we can do that is by, number one, giving our full tithe to the church. Number two, eliminating our personal debt. And number three, eliminating the mortgage on the debt of our church by the fall of 2012. That's what I think God is calling us to do. And to be one last motivator, look at the cross. Jesus didn't give 10% of himself for your sins. He gave everything, his entire life. And when he did, guess what? All of your debts were released by the power of the cross and the love of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please?